Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Scouting God podcast. In this podcast, we're going to try to read all the merit badge books that scouting has to offer. In this episode, we are going to be continuing going over the tenderfoot rank requirements. The next requirement on this list is requirement 4A. Show first aid for the following. Simple cuts and scrapes. Blisters on the hand and foot. Minor thermal slash heat burns or scalds. Bites or stings of insects and ticks. Venomous snake bites. Nosebleeds. Frostbite and sunburn and choking. Requirement 4B says, Describe common poisonous or hazardous plants. Identify any that grow in your local area or campsite location. Tell how to treat for exposure to them. Contact rashes from plants. Poison ivy, poison oak, and poison sumac are the most common poisonous plants in the United States. Contact with usual an oil found in their leaves, stems, and roots may irritate the skin and cause itching. The usual must be on the skin for at least 10 to 20 minutes before it begins causing problems. If you think that you have touched a poisonous plant, begin first aid by washing the area immediately with rubbing alcohol or dis- degreasing soap, such as dishwashing dish liquid, and plenty of warm water. Scrubbing is essential because usual clings to the skin like axle grease. Calamine lotion, hydrostone cream, and other non-repetition treatments can help relieve itching. Try not to scratch. If the reaction is severe, if the eyes or genitals are affected, or if plant parts were chewed and swallowed, seek medical attention immediately. Never burn any part of a poisonous plant. The smoke from the plant can cause severe reactions. Usual on your clothing can affect your skin later. So if you come in contact with uh, any poisonous plants, change clothes as soon as you can and put on the soiled clothes in a heavy plastic bag until they are washed. Wash the effective clothes separately from other items with hot water and detergent. The oil can also remain on items like tool handles for a year or even more. If you have been using a tool in an area where poisonous plants are found, clean them with rubbing alcohol or soap and plenty of warm water. Poisonous or hazardous plants. Nature is beautiful, but it can also be dangerous. Many plants that grow in your neighborhood, in local parks, and in camping areas your troop visits can hurt you if you touch or eat them. Some can even kill. The most common plants you need to watch out for are poison ivy, poison oak, and the poison sumac. Touching them can cause an irritating rash. Ingesting them or breathing in smoke from burning plants is even more serious. Most other plants are only dangerous if ingested. That's why you should never eat any wild plants, including mushrooms, unless you can positively identify them. Often, poisonous plants look similar to edible plants. See first aid chapter for information on treating exposure or ingestion of poisonous plants. Poison ivy grows and grows as a tall, tall climbing vine or shrub. Has stems of three leaflets that are somewhat shiny with a smooth surface and relatively smooth edges. Leaves turn bright red, yellow, or orange in the fall. Has a hairy vine. Come on, common in wooded areas, especially along breaks in the tree line where sunlight peeks through. Poison oak grows as a woody vine or shrub. Has stems of or three leaflets, nearly five or more, with toothed or lobbed edges like oak leaves. Leaves turn bright in red fall. Common in wooden areas, dry barrens, and coastal plains, not tolerant of any of heavy shade. Poison sumac. Grows in a small tree or tall shrub. Has leaves of 7 to 13 long, slender leaflets with no hair on the stems. Leaflets appear in pairs except for the leaflet at the end of the stem. Leaves can turn deep red in fall. 
restricted to swampy, boggy areas, often confused with more common forms of sousmac. Other poisonous plants. Here are some common plants that you may encounter at camp or in your neighborhood. Stinging nettle has hollow, hollow hairs called tichinomes that inject chemicals that cause a stinging sensation. Wistra causes n- nausea, vomiting, cramps, and diarrhea when ingested. Foxglove can cause heart failure as well as nausea, vomiting, cramps, diarrhea, and mouth pain when ingested can be fatal. Lily of the valley causes nausea, vomiting, mouth, and abdominal pain, cramps, diarrhea, and regu- irregular heart rate when ingested. Rotterdarn causes vomiting, diarrhea, headaches, muscle weakness, vision problems, and a burning sensation in the mouth. When ingested, it can be fatal. Lockspur causes digestive problems, nerve damage, and depression. Can be fatal. Water hemlock causes painful, violent convulsions and can lead to death. Jimson weed causes delirium, incoherence, coma, extreme thirst, and slight problems can be fatal. Pokeweed causes stomach pain, nausea, vomiting, bloody diarrhea, and low blood pressure. Nightshade causes cramps, irregular heartbeat, tremors, and paranoia. Next on our list is requirement 4C. Tell what you can do while on a campout or other outdoor activity to prevent or reduce the occurrence of injuries or exposure listed in tenderfoot requirements 4A and 4B. Reducing exposure to injury. Many accidents and injuries can be prevented if you are careful to avoid potentially dangerous situations. On the other hand, trouble can occur when you take chances, ignore the rules, don't use common sense, get in a hurry, or are overconfident or fatigued. You will find information throughout this chapter and other chapters such as cooking, hiking, and aquatics on avoiding specific injuries. Beyond those specifics, keep these general guidelines in mind. Be prepared. Always think ahead to what might happen next. Do we have the right gear to cause the weather turns cold and wet? Is our stove set up on a suitable surface so we can't tip over and burn someone? If I'm going to use an axe to chop wood or other sprouts clear the area, what might be under the rock that I'm about to pick up? Seek knowledge and skill. Know how to properly use stoves, wood tools, and other potentially dangerous gear. Use gear the right way and always wear the appropriate personal safety gear, such as safety goggles. Know and accept your limitations. Don't be tempted to try something that you know is risky, such as swimming in an unsafe area, shooting rapids you aren't prepared for, or climbing on a tree to retrieve the snag bear bag at rope. Follow the rules. The BSA has extensive guidelines for many activities, which can be found in the Guide to Safe Scouting. The Sweet 16 of Scouting Safety applies to all outings. Assemble a personal first aid kit to carry with you on furniture, campouts, and hikes. Tell how each item in the kit would be used. This is a requirement for D. Being prepared for a first aid means having the necessary supplies on hand. The contents of a personal first aid kit will help you treat scrapes, blisters, and other minor injuries. With a larger patrol or home first aid kit, you can deal with more serious injuries. Personal first aid kit. Carry a personal first aid kit on hikes and campouts. Fit everything in a reusable plastic bag and take with you wherever you set on a scouting adventure. You should include these but are not limited to 6 latex-free adhesive bandages in assorted size. Two sterile 3x3 gauze pads, a small roll of latex-free adhesive tape, a 3x6-inch tape of moleskin, a small ball of soap, or a small bottle of alcohol-based hand sanitizing gel, a small tube of triple antibiotic ointment, optional, a small tube of hydrochlorstein cream, optional, scissors, tweezers, 
Disposable latex-free gloves, CPR breathing barrier, paper and pencil, or a small notebook. Some people are allergic to antibiotics, hard scrumed cream, so be sure to ask permission before applying either of these ointments for first aid. First aid on your phone. If you have a smartphone, you can download, with your parents' permission, the American Red Cross free first aid app. It includes videos, step-by-step instructions for common injuries, and quizzes you can take to test your knowledge. Why use latex freeze gloves and adhesive bandages and other supplies? Because some people are allergic to latex. Touching it can cause them to experience mild to severe allergic reactions, ranging from itching and skin redness to difficulty breathing, and even anaphylactic shock. The next section is hiking. Requirement 5A says, Explain the importance of buddy system as it relates to your personal safety on outings and in your neighborhood. Use the buddy system while on a troop or patrol outing. Buddy system. During outdoor activities, including aquatics, scouting, use the buddy system to help ensure everyone's safety. You and a buddy can watch out for each other during a campout by checking in now and then to be sure everything is alright. In the backcountry, you want to stay in groups of at least four. That way, if someone gets hurt, two people can go for help while two stay behind. The next requirement in that section is requirement 5B. Describe what to do if you become lost on a hike or campout. What to do when lost? One day, you might accidentally wander off a trail and be unsure how to find it again. Perhaps you will take a wrong turn and not know which way to go. If you think you are lost, stop where you are and follow the four steps that spell stop. S stands for stay calm. T stands for think. O, observe. P, plan. Stay calm. Sit down and have some water and something to eat. If you are cold, put on a jacket or sweater. Breathe slowly and relax. Think. Try to remember how you got where you are. If you have a map, open it and see what you can learn from the symbols and contour lines. Observe. Look for your footprints in soft ground or snow. Notice any landmarks that can be clues to your location. Listen for sounds of other scouts. Plan. If you are convinced that you know which way to go, to get back on track, move carefully. Use a compass to set a bearing on that direction of your destination. Then, clearly mark the way you are going with broken branches, piles of stones, or whatever else is handy, in case you need to find your way back to the spot where you were sitting. However, if you do not have a clear idea of where you are, say where you are. People will start looking for you as soon as someone realizes you are missing. Help searchers find with any signal represented three times. For instance, you might get three shouts or three blasts on a whistle. A smoky fire in the daytime and a bright fire at night might also attract attention. Toss grass or green leaves on the flame to create additional smoke. Spread your rain gear, sleeping bag, and bright colored equipment in the open to catch the eye of a rescue pilot or flash a mirror in the direction of an aircraft. Pitch a tent if you have one or find shelter against a rock or under a tree. Hang a t-shirt or something else on a branch above you to get the attention of searchers, even if you have fallen asleep. Use your scout basic essentials and whatever else you have with you to stay warm and dry. In addition to serving as a signal to rescuers, a campfire can offer warmth and lift your spirits. Collect enough wood before dark to last through the night. Lastly, try not to worry. You can survive for several days without water and for several weeks without food. Stay where you are. You will be found. Next is requirement 5C. Explain the rules of safe hiking, both on the highway and cross-country, during the day and at night. Cross-country hiking. 
Cross-country hiking allows you to get away from everything, including trails. Before setting out, decide whether leaving the trail is a good idea. Where vegetation is fra- fragile, as often as it is in wet meadows, some desert areas, and high mountain tundra. Stay on pathways. Even where ground covers is more durable, avoid walking on vegetation. Try to stand on bare ground, rocks, and snow whenever you can. Away from a trail, footing can be uncertain. Brush and rugged terrain might slow your progress. Which where you put your hands if you are scrambling on rocks. You don't want to get bitten by a snake or stung by an insect. Of course, you must be able to find your way and keep track of where you are. You will likely need to use a map and compass or a GPS receiver. By writing a good trip plan and setting your map before you start cross-country hiking, you shouldn't be surprised by rivers, cliffs, and other barriers. If you do do run into an obstacle that you aren't sure you can navigate safely, detour around them or go back the way you came. Staying with your patrol is important in cross-country hiking as far as any other outdoor adventures. Leaders of your patrol and troop will encourage you to use the buddy system on hikes. Hiking with a buddy helps you stay alert to each other's safety. Your buddy can watch out for you while you keep track of him. Hiking safety. Whether you are on a cross-country hiking or hiking on trails, you should always watch where you place your feet to avoid slipping or twisting an ankle. Using bridges to cross streams, wade through water only if there is no way to go and only if the water is shallow and the current is slow. Use your hiking stick or trekking pole to improve your balance as you cross. Before entering the water, release a hip up and sternum trap of your backpack. That way, you can wriggle out of your backpack if you fall in. If you come across that appear to be dangerous, make a detour or go back the way you came. Your safety is always much more important than reaching the destination of a hike. Hiking on highways and roads. Anytime you hike next to a highway or road without a sidewalk, stay in a single fire on the left side, facing the traffic. If you must walk alongside a road at night, Make yourself visible by wearing light-colored clothing or tying strips of white cloth to a reflective ribbon around your right arm and leg. Use a flashlight to brighten your way and to alert drivers that you are there. Don't shine into the driver's eyes, however. Never hitchhike. It can be dangerous, and it is often illegal, and it spoils the spirit of a hike. Staying found. The best way not to get lost is to know where you are at all times. Before you leave home, mark the route of your hike on a map. Then, study the map to become familiar with the countryside. Where is your destination? What landmarks should you be able to see while you're walking? Pay attention while you are on the trail. Notice the directions you are going. Watch for hills, streams, valleys, buildings, and other landscape features. Use a map and compass or a GPS receiver to keep track of their location. If you are hiking on an out and back trail, be sure to often look back and get a good look at the way you have come. You will see your route as it will appear upon your return, which can help you find your way back home. Next up, we have fitness. Requirement 6A said, record your best in the following tasks. Push-ups, sit-ups or curb-ups, back savers, stand slash reach, and a one-mile walk slash run. 6B, develop and describe a plan for improvement in each of the activities listed in 10-foot requirement 6A. Keep track of your activity for at least 30 days. 6C, show improvement of any degree in each activity led in 10-foot requirement 6A after participating for 30 days. Next up, we have citizenship. 7A, demonstrate how to display, raise, lower, and fold the U.S. flag. Flying the flag. The flag of the United States may be flown every day. Flags are usually flown from sunrise to sunset. Properly lit, they can be flown at night too. 
The flag should fly on all national and state holidays and on other days proclaimed by the President of the United States. When the American flag is displayed with flags of other nations, each national flag must be flown from a separate staff on the same height. When the American flag is displayed with other types of flags, such as state flags or the flags of organization, the national flag is given the position of honor to its own right and should be flown above the others. If flags are displayed at equal heights, the United States flag is either out in front or the furthest to its own right. The American flag is hoisted first and lowered last. Raising the flag. To hoist a flag on a flagpole, hold the floated flag, prevent it from touching the ground. A second person should attach the flag to the flag line, also called a halyard. Then, briskly raise the flag, keeping the line taut. When the flag is flying freely, step back and salute as the other person ties the halyard to the, uh, to the flagpole. Lowering the flag. Loosen the halyard from the pole and slowly lower the flag. A second person salutes until the flag is within reach, then gathers the flag into his arms. Remove the flag from the halyard and tie the halyard to the pole. Then fold the flag for storage. A person lowering the flag alone need not try to fold it. He can simply gather it into his arms so that it does not touch the ground. Then take it indoors to fold it and store properly. The flag at half staff. Flying the flag at half staff is to show the following at a national tragedy to mark the death of a president or other national or state figure, or to honor those who have sacrificed their lives for the country. Hoist the flag to the top of the pole, hold it there for an instant, and then lower the point halfway between the top and the bottom of the pole. Take the flag down by first raising to the top of the pole and then lowering it slowly. On Memorial Day, fly the flag at half staff until noon, then hoist it to full staff. Folding the flag. The flag is always stored folded, and it is kept folded until the time to be displayed. Properly folding a flag is a two-person task. The following steps is how to properly fold a flag. 1. Fold the flag in half, lengthwise, so that the strip halfway covers the blue field. 2. Fold it in half again. 3. Bring the lower striped corner to the upper edge, forming a triangle. 4. Fold the upper point to form another triangle. Continue until the entire length of the flag is folded. 5. When you get near the end, nothing with the blue field showing, tuck the last bit into the other folds to secure it. 6. Final fold in the flag resembled a cocked hat with only the white stars on the blue field showing. Displaying the flag. The flag may be carried on a staff in parades, at scout meetings, and during other ceremonies and patriotic events. When displaying from a staff in an auditorium or place of worship, the flag of the United States of America holds a position of honor. To the right of a speaker, as he or she faces the audience, any other flag should be placed on the speaker's left. When displaying the flag horizontally or vertically against a wall, the blue field should be at the top and the flag's own right to your left as you look at the flag. The American flag should never be flown upside down except as a distressed signal to call for help. The Pledge of Allegiance Feeling that patriotism was declining and that the time was right for a reawakening of simple Americanism, Baptist minister France Bellamy composed the Pledge of Allegiance in 1892. 
The pledge first appeared that September in the children's magazine, The Youth Companion, in celebration of the 400th anniversary of the Christopher Columbus arrival in the New World. In 1942, the U.S. Congress family adopted the pledge, and it now opens countless school days, legislative sessions, and, of course, scout meetings across the country. The wording of the pledge has been changed four times, most recently in 1954, where the words under God were added. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Conducting Flag Ceremonies Flag ceremonies are an important part of showing respect to your flag. Your troop meetings probably start with a flag ceremony, and your patrol or troop may occasionally be asked to perform a flag ceremony at a camp party or community event. There are many correct ways to do a flag ceremony. The most important thing is that you do it with dignity and respect. This is not the time to be silly. Next requirement on our list is requirement 7b. Participate in a total of one hour of service in your or more in-service project approved by a scoutmaster. Explain how your service to others relates to the scout slogan and scout motto. Volunteer Organizations Volunteer organizations are groups whose members give time and energy to provide service the community needs. A good example is the parent-teacher organization your parents or guardians might participate at in your school. They know that working together with teachers can make your school an even better place for you to learn. Your scout troop is a volunteer organization too. Adults interested in BSA programs help organize and support your troop. They find ways to raise money for camping gear and cover other expenses. On their own time, your scout leaders receive training and take part in troop meetings and scouting adventures with you and your fellow scouts. Religious organizations help with community needs, and so do organizations such as the United Way. Neighborhood awareness groups do much to involve everyone in the safety of homes and businesses. In similar towns, the fire department and rescue squad are often sat by trained volunteers who have other careers but are ready to do someone's assistance when needed. You can be a volunteer too. Perhaps you belong to a school organization that informs students about the dangers of using alcohol, tobacco, and illegal drugs. You and your friends might spend a Saturday collecting food and used clothing for people in need, helping out a home for senior citizens, working on environmental protection efforts, completing projects as a place of worship, or even washing cars to raise money for a worthy cause. Serve to your community. Service projects are a great way to give back to your community. They also help you meet the service requirement for Boy Scout Advancement. A community service project is a special, good turn, that puts Scout Spirit into into action. Projects can take many forms. You might take part in a community cleanup, repair a place of worship, a museum, or the home of an elderly person, improve a wildlife habitat, volunteer at a hospital, or with a public safety group, organize a recycling effort, or conduct a clothing pickup or food drive. Service projects for your community improve the lives of those around you. They will also enrich your life as you discover that what you do makes a real difference. The more you give, the more you get back in satisfaction, in accomplishment, and in understanding that you have done the right thing. Service to others, to your community, and to the environment becomes a habit that you will still want to participate in often, even when you're not in scouting anymore. Our next little section is leadership. Requirement 8 says, describe the steps in scouting, teach the edge method, using the teaching edge method to teach another person how to tie a square knot. Teaching. A scout is helpful. Scouts live up to the point of the scout law by sharing what they know. Teaching someone helps you become better at using a skill, too. You can think of it as a hands-on research. 
You can use scouting teaching as a method at any time you are helping others learn. First, carefully explain to others the way that the skill is done. Then, demonstrate the steps and guide learners as they practice. Lastly, provide the support that they need to enable, enable them to use the new skill on their own. Scouting Teaching Edge Using the edge to teach uh, others a skill. E stands for explain how it is done. D stands for demonstrate the steps. G says guide learners as they practice. E stands for enable them to exceed on their own. The first step is explain. The teacher carefully explains the skill, showing all the steps and keeping in mind that the learner is probably seeing this for the first time. Go slowly, make your actions deliberate, and use descriptive language, but don't stop to show the inter details yet. After explaining the skill, you will demonstrate it. Break down each element, showing the step-by-step -step process and explaining the details of each how step is done and why. Here is here you will allow the learner to ask questions, but not yet where he takes the reins for himself. Now, guide the learner as he makes his first attempts at the skill. Be sure to let him completely hands-on and don't worry if he makes mistakes. Just tell him how to fix it or start again from the beginning. Keep it Keep at it, and be careful not to lose patience. Remember, how you were still learning too. Lastly, the teacher enables the learner by allowing him to see what he can do it himself and has. The teaching edge method can be applied to teaching and learning at any skill. That's what happened when you first learned to tie the knots you need to know to earn for the scout rank. Another scout explained the knot, perhaps a square knot, to you and demonstrated how to tie it. Then, he gave you the rope and guided you through the steps of the two you kept at it until you have enabled you to tie the knot by yourself. Now, you can put that knot into use. The last section is Scout Spirit. Demonstrate the Scout Spirit by living out the Scout Oath, Scout Law, and tell how you have done your duty to God and how you have lived four different parts of the Scout Law in your everyday life. Next requirement is Requirement 10. While working towards the 10 different rank, after completing the Scout rank requirement 7, participate in the Scoutmaster Conference. Next, successfully complete your board of review for the 10 different rank. Congrats, now you made it to the end, and now you have all the knowledge you need to know how to earn your... Tenderfoot Rank. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Tenderfoot Rank Requirement Reading. Next week, we will be going over the second class rank requirements.